Our scripture reading this morning comes from two psalms, Psalm 120 and Psalm 121. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior, a warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Then Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. It's good. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Redeemer City. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Eventually I'll get this the way I want it. Um, so uh, <clears throat> go dove <clears throat> chocolate. as very... Uh, I was profound that you would find that on the inside of a chocolate wrapper. Uh, makes me want to write them a letter and say thanks for thinking through significant things when people are eating their chocolate. Um, but uh, as you can see, we're into a new series. Uh, this is always a, a, a fun day to begin a new series. Uh, it makes it a significant day in the life of our church, not because the Lombardi Trophy is going to return to Kansas City, um, or to San Francisco. I don't really care where it goes, but uh, that's not the reason this is a big day. Uh, whenever we start a new series, uh, it's a time to kind of reflect uh, and set the tone for what I hope will be the tone of the whole series. And so on the insert in your worship folder, you should see there uh, on one side an outline and on the other side the scriptures that uh, Gigi just read. And the series is the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, on the way is really the idea. Uh, and these are, what we're going to do is work through a series of, uh, or a collection of, uh, of, of psalms, beginning in Psalm 120 all the way up to uh, Psalm 134. Uh, we're not going to hit every single one, but these are a collection of songs that the Hebrews would sing as they went up to Jerusalem as in ascending to the hill of the Lord. So they called them the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, now, I've never been to Israel, but they say that Jerusalem is the highest point in the area, so the pilgrims would begin to see the city from far away, and as they approached, usually making their way up to the city for a festival, these were the songs that they would sing to one another, so they sang them on the way, and that's why we've titled this series On the Way, because, well, for many reasons, we'll get to some of those uh, in a minute. The temple where they were going was, of course, in Jerusalem, so the ascent to the city had a metaphorical or a symbolic sense as well. They were going up to God. So their singing drew their minds and their hearts upward toward heaven as they physically went upward toward the city. 
And each year, the calendar was arranged around the festivals. We would do uh, well to learn from the Jews in this regard. Just arrange your calendar around parties. It's basically what they did. Uh, in the spring, the Feast of Passover was a commemoration of the Exodus and the salvation, God's salvation that defined them. The Feast of Pentecost was a time of covenant renewal something they had practiced for many years. And then in the fall, they had the the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, which was a celebration of all that God had provided for them in the harvest time. And so they split it up, but they went up to Jerusalem, usually for every one of these feasts, thousands and thousands of people. Jesus himself went up to Jerusalem for feasts. And for us as Christians, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're investigating Christianity, it's easy to think of life as a journey, right? That's a, that's a helpful metaphor. We can all agree on that. Everyone's on a road. Everyone's headed to a destination. There are times of wonder and triumph. There are times of uh, peaks, valleys, anxious fears. And what these psalms do is they provide us a framework. What the psalms are going to do, the psalms of a center, they're going to disciple us as we journey along. Now, Eugene Peterson, who wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which is a great read on these psalms, uh, by the way, if you uh, want to get that. Uh, He says this about the psalms, quote, These are songs of transition, brief hymns, none of them are really long, that provide courage, support, and inner direction for getting us to where God is leading us in Jesus Christ. So part of the goal, at least, of this series uh, is to disciple us in the way as we travel on the way home, because that's where we're going. After all, we're headed to the new Jerusalem, which we are told will one day come down out of heaven from God to earth. Uh, Now, I know it's February 2nd, so you may have not transitioned. Last month, we were memorizing a part of Psalm 1. Uh, This month, we're on to Psalm 18. Uh, But we memorized a part of Psalm 1 last month, and it says, The one who meditates on the law of God day and night is considered blessed. So, I would encourage you, meditate on these psalms. Again, none of them are are super long. Some of them are more familiar than others. Uh, And as we do, we'll see elements common to everyone who walks in the path, who is journeying toward our heavenly home. Now, one thing that I was reminded of this week and thinking about songs that you sing on the way somewhere was a camp I used to go to. Uh, Drew went to it as well called Lazy W. Some of you may have uh, heard of it or gone to it when you were a kid. And they had different points that they would pick up, usually Publix plazas. Uh, You'd meet the bus, and uh, your parents couldn't take you to camp. You had to get on the bus, and the bus drove you out to camp in Lake Alfred. Uh, And on the way, they had counselors who who manned every uh, bus, uh, and you'd sing songs. And I'm not going to sing them, but I literally can remember about two or three of them right off the top of my head, and I can sing them all the way through because I went to it for years. But it's the power of singing on the way somewhere and those things preparing you for what you are uh, headed toward, your destination. Uh, And the Psalms of Ascent are very much that. So take a look at the outline. Uh, We're going to zero in on each of these Psalms this morning under two headings. The first, Psalm 120, under the heading Repentance, and then Psalm 121 under the heading of Faith. You can't start, you can't continue, you can't end up on the journey with Jesus without these two things. So we're simply going to ask, what can we learn from them, each psalm, about each of these things, and then how can we see Jesus in them? Because he's our only hope anyway. 
To have him is to have life. And repentance and faith are the necessities for getting us there, okay? I about said questions, comments, but this is a sermon. You can't talk, sorry. Um, Anyway, go to Psalm 120. Uh, If you want to look in uh, the Pew Bible, uh, the page numbers are there. It's page 516 uh, instead of flipping uh, back and forth over with the insert or in your own Bible. Um, But look at Psalm 120. Psalm 120 begins, uh, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Uh, and and, and we, just, <laughs> we just dive right in. Because life is full of distress, is it not? So the question for us is, who do you call to when you are in distress? What's your knee-jerk reaction to being in distress? In my distress, I called. You might have a good friend. It might be your spouse. What's causing this writer distress? Well, two things uh, to be exact, and this is going to how we frame or how we work through this idea of repentance. What's causing him distress is he's not where he's supposed to be. His location is wrong, and he's not behaving as he's supposed to be. His behavior is wrong. Those two things seem to strike him. Now, if you're going on the way, if you're going to journey with God, you have to acknowledge that you are not yet where you need to be. You aren't home. And that's part of the immediate reality that we're faced with and this writer was faced with. In my distress, I called to the Lord. There's lies, there's violence. The world as we know it reminds us constantly that we aren't home. And repentance, and what I'm going to do is just talk through or define repentance different ways or describe it different ways as we go through here. But repentance is a state of mind that says... I need to be where God is. I need to be where God's presence is. That's why this was one of the first songs. We don't know that they sang them chronologically in this order, but nevertheless, let's assume they did for a minute. And this is where, this is where the pilgrims began, with the distress of the reality of not being home. Repentance isn't necessarily an emotion. It's not feeling sorry for your sins per se. It's the beginning of acknowledging a real homesickness. Have you ever been homesick? Well, admittedly, uh, when I got to Lazy W and you didn't spend the night out there, you just were there for the day. Uh, And I remember the first year that I went, I knew lots of friends were going to be there. But man, that time between leaving the house and getting to the Publix Plaza, and waiting on the bus, and there's the bus, and okay, see you later. And then, admittedly, I was a little homesick. What's it like to be homesick? Well, it it makes sense why this is the first psalm. Part of what made the journey to Jerusalem so powerful for the Jews was that they were, in a real way, going home. Each time, they were going back home. So they had to ask themselves, and we have to ask ourselves, have I made my home someplace else? Has, it, has, has the, the other place captured my imagination, my thoughts, my affections more than the place God dwells? Well, this is a big deal in the Bible. Hang with me for uh, just a minute because in the beginning, God made a beautiful home, a garden paradise. Go back to page one, two, and three of the Bible and you'll see it. Human beings in, chose to leave it, unfortunately, chose to reject it, and the rest of the story of the Bible is God bidding their return over and over and over again. Come home, come home, 
come home. Most graphically, of course, in the person and work of Jesus. We get God himself leaving home in order to make it possible for us to return home. To be human is to know the grief of some paradise lost, the ache of nostalgia. Do you know what the word nostalgia means? It comes from two Greek words, one that means homecoming and the other means pain. In French, um, the phrase means sickness of a lost country. Do you feel that? Christianity starts with repentance. It's saying, enough already. Enough of trying to manage my life and to be my own God. Enough lies. The world is full of them, and I've believed them. I want to go home. Listen to the psalmist. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I made my dwelling among those who hate peace. Repentance is a practical renouncing of all we do and say that is opposed to God, of seeking to create a reality and craft a life that is apart from God or opposed to God. And this writer is saying, how have I done that enough? I want to go home. It's the first words recorded, uh, or the first, it, it is the first word, I should say, recorded for both John the Baptist and Jesus. Repent, they both say, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the starting point for starting on the way to Christianity. Have you repented? Where do you need to repent? Now, uh, Gigi was reading, and I got asked, what's a broom tree? And I said, some type of tree in the Middle East that I guess they make brooms out of. I'm not really sure what a broom tree is, but I can tell you where Mishak and Kedar are. So, I mean, you know, yin and yang, okay? I'll, I'll give you one. I can't give you the other. But really, what Mishak and Kedar are, are the extreme north, up near the Black Sea, <clears throat> a tribe that lived up in what would be modern-day southern Russia, and then far south in Arabia. The furthest reaches is the idea. And the psalmist is saying, too long, or excuse me, woe is me that I sojourn, that I've traveled in and dwelt among the far reaches away from God. So where have you found yourself saying, too long? Where are you exhausted? That's what he's getting at in verse Six, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. In other words, in the world, away from God, away from God's presence. He's exhausted. Repenting is saying, along with the psalm, too long. But here's the deal. Repentance isn't just the beginning of the Christian life. It's not just for the beginning of the Christian life. It's for all of the Christian life. That's why the title of the sermon is Repentance and Faith, the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's not you get one, then you have one in the middle, and then you don't need either of them at the end. You need both of them in the beginning, both of them in the middle, both of them in the end. And wherever you're feeling that sense of too long, I'm just so tired, it's been too long. The good news of Christianity is you don't have to live there anymore. The invitation of Jesus Christ, even this morning, is repent. Turn to me, he says. Repentance sets us on the way to traveling in the light because it rejects one way of life and embraces another. It leaves one reality on the way to arriving in another, leaving the world of deceit 
and lies, hatred and violence and war. Look at the last phrase there. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And I'm tired of every time I speak, peace, receiving war in return. I got to find a new reality. I got to find a new place. I got to find home. And to one degree or another, each day we live with the ache for the heavenly country, the world we were made for, but also each day we have a choice. And repentance as a daily habit means intentionally refusing to relieve the ache with the false promises the world makes. Let me say that again. It is intentionally refusing to relieve the ache with the false promises that the world makes. C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. Most people if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Go back to verse 1. Remember, the writer's in distress. There's a realization and a longing for home But remember, he's not just in distress about his location. He's in distress about himself. Look at verse 2. He says, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And presumably, then he's going to say, the Lord answered me, yes. What can I do for you? And verse 2 is, well, here's what I need, Lord. And notice this comes before saying, I'm not home. My location's off. He says, I'm off, verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Where do you need deliverance from? Where do you find yourself asking the Lord to deliver you, to rescue you out of? Sure, you could make a point, or you could make a case that this writer is asking to be delivered from the lying lips and deceitful tongue of others or of the world. And realizing he's homesick, but I would say, too, he's asking for his own lying lips and deceitful tongue to be rescued from. Your greatest problem isn't your circumstances, your job, your spouse, your health. It's your sin. And when a paralyzed man, and some of you may remember this story, was brought to Jesus by faithful friends in the Gospels, Jesus' words to him were striking. What did he say? As he came, as, as they, they, they cut out a part of the roof and they let him down in the midst of them, Jesus looked at him and said, what? Son, your sins are forgiven. Everybody was kind of like, what? Verse 2, again, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. See, the good news of the gospel is that, of course, in Jesus Christ, the Lord has delivered us. Jesus took our lying lips and our deceitful tongue as his, so that we might be delivered from sin. So on the cross, God looked at him and he saw our deceitful tongue and our lying lips. And he judged Jesus instead. And he offers that deliverance to us every day. That's repentance. When you are delivered, you're in Jesus, which means rest and peace and joy, a taste of the way things are supposed to be, an experience of home. And yet, as Jesus reminds us in John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. But but what? 
but just hang in there. Try your best. It'll be okay. He says, no, take heart. I've overcome the world. And so you need the next psalm. You need faith. And that leads us to Psalm 121. What does Psalm 121 teach us about the nature of faith in a world of troubles? Well, when you're under threat, where do you look? I would ask you even to consider today or this past week, what's threatening you at the moment? Where do you feel a real threat? Maybe it's from outside, maybe it's from inside. Well, on the way to Jerusalem, as they went up, of course, there were hills, very much like the picture uh, that's uh, behind me there, although that looks more like maybe the Alps in Europe or something. But, you know, it gets the idea across that there's, there's, there's these paths. And if you've ever been hiking uh, in mountains, um, you know, up on the Appalachian Trail or out west or something like that, there are oftentimes where you get on the path and you're, you're, you're skirting the cliff. And if you fall, you're falling thousands of feet down. It's kind of scary. But as you get up into the midst of the mountains, there are hills you can't see on the other side of. There might be robbers hiding above you. Who knows? Again, think of yourself as a pilgrim on the way up to Jerusalem. And so they sing, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Faith is is looking to God, simply put. I know there's a lot, of, a lot more you could say about faith or a lot more you could use to define faith, but I'm just defining it that faith is a looking to God. The psalm lists three potential sources of danger and follows them with a description of how the Lord helps us. So uh, let me briefly look at each one as we walk through the psalm. So slips and falls. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Well, you know, traveling on foot can be dangerous, right? Again, think about hiking or even just taking a walk. Uh, You're walking along, you slip on a rock, you sprain your ankle. It's a real danger. And they, these pilgrims would travel for hundreds of miles to get to Jerusalem. But the psalm says, he will not let your foot be moved. So, Are we to conclude that Christians don't get sprained ankles? Don't experience accidents? Well, it can't be saying that. Plenty of Christians I know have had those things happen. Either I'm wrong and they're not Christians, or the psalm is wrong, or maybe uh, neither one. Because, know this, this psalm, in fact, the Bible as a whole, doesn't promise us a cushioned life. It promises us a well-armed life. And you are armed because he, the Lord, arms you. That's part of the promise that the psalm is making. It's the argument the psalm is making. It's reasoning with us for why we should look to the Lord and only to the Lord for our help. It's trying to wrestle us toward faith. Look to the Lord because he's worth looking to. Again, listen to Eugene Peterson. He says, Faith is not a precarious affair of chance, escaping from satanic assaults. It is the, listen to these words, it is the solid Massive, secure experience of God who keeps all evil from getting inside us, who keeps our life. Slips and falls, but also heat, exhaustion, anxiety. The Lord is your keeper. 
Verse five, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Verse six, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Obviously, traveling on foot in this part of the world under the blaring sun can get tiring. We know this. We live in Florida. Blaring sun, schmearing sun. We're used to it, right? Not a big deal. Well, you've been sunburned before. Maybe. If you haven't, give it time. You will be, right? But we've all been probably sunburned to one degree or another or fatigued. Well, our lives have heat just like these pilgrims were experiencing heat. Different kinds of heat, right? We have pressure situations at work. We have deadlines to meet. We have homework to do. We have bills to pay. Of course, this isn't arguing that Christians won't experience those things. But the psalm says, the Lord is my shade. The sun shall not strike you. And part of what I want to get you to see here is there's a, there's a tension. Because sometimes we read this psalm, Psalm 121 in particular, we think, oh, I'm going to be safe from all these things. All these things I'll never experience. All these things won't touch me. Well, it's telling you you'll be safe. But it's not saying you won't experience these things. In fact, the last one, verse 7, says evil itself. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Well, what does it mean that the Lord will keep you from all evil? Does it mean you won't experience evil? I think the psalm says he will keep you from all evil. Yes, none of the things that happen to you, none of the troubles you encounter have any power to get between you and God. My brother-in-law two weeks ago was diagnosed with leukemia. 45 years old, in uh, relatively good health overall, uh, and went in with some back pain, and they told him, oh, your platelets are really low, and then they did a little bit more, and they said, you need to go to the hospital right now, and two days later, he's uh, in a uh, cancer ward, and they've told him, we have to start chemotherapy today, so can leukemia threaten your life? It absolutely can. It has the ability to separate you from your family and friends, but it has no power, and this is what the psalm is leading us toward. It has no power to separate you from the Lord who is your keeper. Leukemia is no match for the typhoon blast of the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ for the Christian. In each instance, the psalmist describes the Lord as a keeper six times, in fact, And you may have picked up on that as she was uh, reading. He is described this way six times. And if a word is repeated that many times in this few verses, surely there's something to it, right? Well, the idea of keeping, there's different forms of keeping. We think of keeping sheep. We think of keeping different types of animals. If you you, uh, care for bees, what are you called? A beekeeper. He who keeps you will not slumber, the psalmist says. The Lord is your keeper. Your shade, which literally in Hebrew means your shadow. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in, which was Hebrew idioms for birth and death. It's an intentional word because here's who he's describing. Listen. Listen. The Lord maintains. The Lord preserves He uses the proper name for God all the way throughout this psalm, intentionally so because he wants to say the cosmic ruler of the universe is the one 
who preserves, who watches over, who defends, who takes care of, who tends, who supports. There is no God like the Lord. He is personal. He is present. And faith in a personal and present father is strong enough to withstand any foot slipping, any sunburn, any heat, any cancer. And only Christianity offers that. The promise of the Bible is that the Christian life will end well, but there's no promise that it will necessarily always go well. In fact, I shouldn't expect that the Father is going to shield me from hardship if he led his own son into suffering. What I can trust is that the Father will use it to redeem, to shape, and to draw me deeper into Jesus. It's why in Romans 5, Paul says this crazy thing, we rejoice in our suffering. Who says that? He says, we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And only Christianity can arm you with those things. Only those things, as you look to the Lord, your keeper in faith, can equip you for the uncertainties and troubles of life. Again, Eugene Peterson, the promise of this psalm is not that we should never stub our toes but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purpose in us. Now let me end with the assurance of pardon. So just uh, take a look in your worship folder there. It's all from Romans 8 toward the very end of the chapter. Every one of us in this room are currently facing something that we look at and we think, I'm not really sure how this is going to turn out. And maybe that thought brings excitement and anticipation for you. Maybe it brings fear and panic. All of us face some level of real-time suffering, and yet the promise of the Bible is that for the Christian, all things work together for good. All things. We don't fully understand that. And yet, as Ashley said earlier, sometimes we need to sing our way into believing. Sometimes we need to read God's Word and sort of repeat it into believing. All things work together for good because if God is for us, who can be against us? And Psalm 121 is describing in very real ways how God is for us. He keeps us. But it's the last two verses of Romans 8. It's it's the last two verses of Romans 8 um, that that, that give you the nuclear energy. They give you the plutonium, if you will, for the life of faith. And it's the assurance that no trouble, no person, no success, no failure, no disease, no death, nothing can separate us from our keeper. The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, the Beatles were right. Love is all you need. It's just the love of another person or whatever they were talking about. But it's the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love, as we look at and live in Jesus, delivers us from our sins and it keeps us on the way as we journey toward home. So we pray with me uh, as we come to this table for more energy and fuel for the journey. Oh, Father, thank you for these psalms, these songs 
that your people have been singing for thousands of years as they journey along as a pilgrim band toward home. And as we, on, in, in this side of the cross, await our home in the new Jerusalem, as we read about at the end of the story, would you fill us with faith? Uh, would you fill us with repentance? Wherever it is that we need to say, enough, enough. Wherever we experience too long an exhaustion, would you help us turn away from those things, those realities, and turn toward you. Uh, We recognize it's only in you and through you and to you that we have triumph, success, life, and peace. Uh, And so wherever we find ourselves weak and under distress this morning, looking to the hills and wondering where the help is going to come from, Uh, Would you bolster us? Would you renew us by the power of the Spirit? Come and do that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Receive these words. This is the promise as you go. Uh, It's a reminder each week uh, that we have a keeper, uh, and he keeps every single aspect of your life uh, in in mind, uh, in his heart, and in practical outworkings as he cares for you. Uh, So these are good words to take and to hold on to uh, as you leave this place. So receive them now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.